Our precious Father wants to thank you for this hour, for you sent your spirit to guide us, to teach us. You are not served by the arms of men. Everything you do, you don't do by arms of men. You do by the arm of the Lord. You said, my arm has done everything for me. That's your spirit. Not by power, not by might, but by your spirit. So this service today, it's how your spirit also builds your church and speaks to us. Only him, only him can make sense of your word. And only him, only him can reveal your word to us. And only him can help us understand it. For flesh and blood, we never, never give us understanding. So we are so grateful that you sent him to us. And he's here. He will teach us. He will guide us. He will do his work for his faithful. We rely on him. And we give you praise, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about uh, praying with all prayers. I didn't give you a topic, but it's praying with all prayers. I think this should be part two. Our text is Ephesians 6 verse 18. <clears throat> Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. This is New King James Version. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we continue to look at different types of prayers that the Holy Spirit gave the church to pray. And then we need to, first of all, I need to deal with something that I, I feel in my spirit we should talk about. Our confidence in prayer. If we don't build our confidence in prayer, all these things we are teaching will not work. You can't pray in faith anyway. And it will not be useful. So I need to go back there and let's lay that foundation again. Our confidence in prayer. Many Christians do not have confidence in their prayer. That's why they're seeking people to pray for them, seeking prophets to pray for them. If somebody doesn't pray for them, they think God has not done anything. Because they don't have confidence in their privilege and right in Christ to have access to God. They don't have confidence in Scripture. They still stick to this mindset of, you know, one man anointed who has access to God. Listen to me. All of us have access to God, equal access to God, through Christ Jesus, all Christians. And God has no favorites. God is no respecter of persons. It's the same covenant that we have in Christ that all believers in Christ share. There's no special person to God above the other one. The only difference is that some people may have known more, may have studied more, built their faith, not because they are more special than you, except that they have no more, but you are reveling in limited knowledge, and your light is small. That's the only difference. So I want to talk about, to, to really help us to, that prayer is not a gamble. Some people pray and just hope something turns up. Let me tell you here and now, nothing turns up that way. Absolutely nothing. Just hoping, just hoping that something happens. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't work that way. 
It's not a gamble. God didn't set up Kalu Kalu. God is the one that told us to pray. It's not Kalu Kalu. It's not a gamble. It's not maybe, maybe not. It's not like that. God doesn't joke. God doesn't play. God is righteous. God is holy. God is truth. There's nothing like joking, gambling in God. His word is here and amen. So prayer shouldn't be a gamble or I hope something happens. And you really don't have any definite thing to pray about. You really don't have any, I mean, it's, it, it's so bad. But you see the people just trooping around, seeking, and they need help. Sure need help. So let's deal with the issue. The issue is we have not come to understand righteousness. Now, let me say something at the beginning. I want you to listen to me very well. If you have a problem, if you are not able to connect with God, it's because there's a truth about that thing you don't know. Simple. There is a truth about that situation that you have no idea. You might be reading it, quoting it, preaching it, but you don't know it. It's not living in you. The day you know it, Jesus tells us that it will set you free. It will work for you. There's always a truth. You can know it all faith, but it may not be alive in you. It may not be living in you to produce faith in you. This is absolutely true. And if you don't have the truth of God concerning prayer, concerning righteousness, your acceptance to God, if you believe all this mainstream stuff that has no basis in the Bible, you can't build faith. You must know the truth of the basis on which you expect God to accept you. You must be grounded in it, and it's not a whether or whether you are something you are sure you know is true. Then it works for you. So the issue of righteousness in the New Testament, in the New Testament, people, God has shut down the Old Testament. Don't go there. I'm telling you, do not go there. It is called shadow. It is shadow and types. In fact, actually, the Holy Spirit called everything their kind It's physical. It's not really spiritual. It's in the New Testament that Christ is the reality. That all the things the prophets said culminated in him. All of them was culminated in him. Everything was fulfilled in him for us. So Christ is the reality. You can't leave me and be following my shadow. What will my shadow do for you? You come to Christ, he is the reality. And he presents a, a totally new testament far better than the old one, based on better promises. The prayer in the New Testament is totally different, completely different. Righteousness in the New Testament is totally different. Don't bring old cloth and tight and bring to join it to a new one. It will rain. To some people, the cross makes no difference. They are still stuck with Moses and his law. And he's like, they can't even see the difference. Righteousness in the New Testament is what you need to understand. Righteousness, righteousness, listen, 
means what is acceptable to God. Being acceptable to God. Whatever God accepts is righteous. Including you. Being acceptable to God is being righteous. Now, there are two aspects of righteousness which we must clear and understand. Number one, you and me being acceptable to God to have access before him, to come in his presence, is being righteous in that sense, that God accepts us to come to him. Then there is number two, is doing acts that are acceptable to God, called righteous acts. Number one, is being acceptable to God to be able to come before the presence of a holy God, that's righteousness. Number two, is acts of righteousness, the things I do that are acceptable to God, that's righteousness. You need to understand that when it comes to coming to God, the first one has a different condition. And it's not based on the second one. You must know this. Otherwise, you will not build faith. You'll be losing. Now, let, let's look at doing acts of righteousness. Let's talk about this one. This is a proof, really, that you are born again. If you are not doing acts of righteousness, the scripture says there's doubt that you are really born again. So in 1 John 2, 29, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So the proof that you are born again is that you are doing acts that is acceptable to God. That's proof. So we have to. Look at 1 John 3, 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this one. When people do what is right, what does it show? It shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. So the proof that you are born again is not just going to church. It's doing acts of righteousness, doing bearing the fruit of the Spirit. But you know, my brothers and sisters, that in this new life, as newborn babes, we have all the DNA of God in us. We have the life of Christ in us. Like a new baby has the DNA of his parents. Human DNA is in your new baby. So he does things that human beings do. But because he's a new baby, he does not manifest all of it in a very mature manner. So the Bible says we too are born new in Christ. So we have this righteous DNA in us, the life of Christ in us. But we don't always manifest it like matured people manifest more matured acts of human nature which they were born with. So sometimes Christians are not really manifesting the matured nature of God they have. But at least you should look at him and know that he has this nature. If you look at a baby, wouldn't you know that he has the nature of a human being? Does he have to grow up and jump around before you know that this is a human being? That's what the scripture is saying. That if you really are born again, people should look at you and know and see that, yeah, you have this righteous nature by the things you do. You may not do them perfectly well, but when I got saved, my father said, leave this boy alone. I've noticed something. There's a change in him. I didn't know much. 
But my own very father said, I noticed something. Even though I was so legalistic, but he said, I noticed something that changed. You know, if you have a baby, in the, you should know that, oh, it's a human being. If it doesn't look like a human being, then it doesn't have DNA of a human being. That's what the scripture is saying. And the Bible teaches us that we grow in these things, you know. Look at how Jesus described it in Mark chapter 4, 27. Night and day, while he sleeps or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. You see, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. First, first a leaf blade pushes through. You know, ah, this is corn. But it doesn't have the fullness of corn yet. But you know it, you can identify it. This is corn. Somebody looks at you, can identify you, and say he's a Christian. You may not have the fullness of it, but our identification is from the righteous things that people see us doing. People, my father said, leave this boy alone. He has changed. Yet I didn't know much. But he saw that I've been born a baby in kingdom of God that has the semblance of the character of Christ. Even though I was legalistic, I was doing a lot of things wrong, which later on I regretted. But his testimony then was, this boy had changed. Don't let anybody deceive you. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous. It shows. It shows. You know, sometimes we are ignorant of the new life self and do not acknowledge it. And God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So when you don't acknowledge this new life, you don't know even, they don't even know you have it, it won't manifest. It won't manifest. It won't manifest. It has to be the truth that is alive in you, that controls your, your, your decision that you begin to believe that I'm a new creature, I'm born again, I have the life of Christ in me. You have to acknowledge it and appropriate it. Sometimes we don't believe it, we don't know it is, it doesn't even appear in our consciousness year in, year out. Year in, year, year in, year out. We don't see ourselves as new creatures. Question is, how does it then manifest? Is this magic? And then the problem that causes it is that we still want to live like the Old Testament. Because we don't see value in this new life thing, born again. Uh, you have a new life in Christ. We don't see value in it. And so we don't think it's important. Brethren, we don't think it's important. Oh. But that's the thing that matters most, this new life. Look at, look at Galatians 6.15. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. This is what matters most, but this is what Christians don't even place value on. Even from pulpit, many pulpits don't even talk about it. Don't think it doesn't. No, no, we, we, we have to just obey God, you know. And when you talk of obedience to God, it is right. We should obey God. But how? But how? Have we not been struggling, feeling? But how? And we think, okay, yeah, all I have to do is to obey God. 
And we forget that God said, without faith, it is impossible to please me. It's practically impossible. Question is faith in what? That's trying to obey God. On what basis are you trusting to do that? Since you don't know what Christ did for you, since you don't have value on it, since it doesn't count in your thinking, aren't you going to storm out and try to obey God by the arm of the flesh? And the Bible tells us that the flesh will profit us nothing. We won't hear. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. No, we won't hear. Obey God. Must obey. It sounds religious now. But what has he left us? And Paul rejected it outright. Paul rejected all this kind of religious thinking and action. Outright. Look at what he said in Philippians 3. 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. That's how you live the Christian life. The new life he gave you must be up. The Bible said it, this is what matters most. Transformed into that new life. You can't neglect Christ and say you are living a Christian life. You cannot, let me repeat it. You can't neglect Jesus and say you are living a life of faith. He is the foundation of everything. Our faith comes from him. He says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. What, which one he did do you rely on? He gave you new life. Does he make, has he really brought, come into your consciousness? Is it at the center of your thinking? Does he really control your, your belief system that I'm, I'm not who I used to be? That Christ lives in me. I have a new life now. And Christ is the one that's working me to will and to do. Where is your confidence on daily basis? In whom do you, do you trust in horses and chariots, in your power, in your ability to be holy? Where is your confidence in this world? Where is it? Only those who trust in him will not be put to shape. They will not walk in shape. They will not, they walk in victory. The Bible said those who believe in Christ, he said this is the victory that they have. Their victory is their faith for those who believe in Christ. You walk in He causes us to triumph always. We can't live this Christian life apart from Jesus and the cross and the finished work of Calvary. Anybody teaching you that is false doctrine. It's not from God. So we rely on what Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Do Though I could have confidence in my own, my own effort, if anyone could, instead, in, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I too have. But look at what he said in verse 7. I once thought that these things were available, but now I consider them worthless. Be why? Because of what Christ has done. He says, it's no longer I that live it. Christ lives in me. He recognizes, he acknowledges the work of God Jesus did. His life, his confidence is in Christ. It's not obey the law, obey God, obey God. Do you obey God? You that are preaching, do you obey God 100%? Do you? Do you? 
He says, once, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Jesus Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. I don't count on it. But this is where people count. This is where people live. This is their hope. Christ is not their hope of glory. It's their own righteousness that's their hope of glory. And they think if I measure good, then God will accept me. Lies, he would. You see why we can't build faith? Because we, we haven't really rearranged our thinking and put our faith in Christ for real. Paul said, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the Lord. Do you? Is that your confidence? Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. The way God, you can activate the power of God that will produce this new life in you, make it manifest, is by faith in God. Remember, remember that God said that God is not served by men's hands. You can't serve God by your energy, effort. God doesn't use it. It's not by power. It's not by might. He said, my arm has done everything for me. The arm of the Lord, Christ Jesus, the power of God, that if you believe, he manifests the glory. He says, Christ in us is the only hope of glory. Not our own effort, not our own righteousness. And we sing it, it's not by words of righteousness, by, by his faith alone. <laughs> we sing it. We dance. We don't believe it. Mental asset. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It is, this life is lived by faith in Christ and the finished work on the cross where Jesus gave us new life and crucified the old sinful nature. We cannot neglect this truth and bear any fruit of his life in us. Never. That is denying the power. The Bible said that all it produces is a form of godliness. That's all it produces. A form of, not godliness, a form of godliness that denies the power. False sense of righteousness. What denies the power that works within us? Make us to will and do his good pleasure. That's trying to please God without faith. It is impossible. My question is, where is your faith based on? On Christ, the solid rock, all other grounds, sinking sand. Then let's talk about the first one I talked about, the fact about God's gift of righteousness. The fact that we have to produce the acts of righteousness, the life of Christ, is not the basis of coming to God. You must, you must understand this. That's why many people get confused. It's not. 
Some people think it's blasphemy. Read your Bible. See if the Bible says the same thing. Colossians 1, 20 to 23. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The only reason you have peace with God is because of the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you do, nothing, zero, that will bring peace between you and God. Only the blood. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, 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 01, 19, 23, tomorrow, next tomorrow, now, any day you open this Bible, now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result of this, he has brought you into his presence. As a result of this death on the cross, God brought you and I into his presence. As a result, he didn't mention what we did. You can't discount Christ. It's not possible. As a result, as a result, he, God, has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you had the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servants to proclaim it. When Christ came, the law was, came to an end. When Christ came, the system of the law of Moses, whether for righteousness, whether for everything, everything in the Old Testament came to a screeching halt. God closed it. Romans 10 from verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law. Is the end of the law. Leave that place and let me show you Galatians 5.18 quickly. We are going back there. The Galatians 5.18 quickly. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led of the Spirit in the New Testament, as many as sons of God are led by the Spirit, children of God are no more under the law. So when Christ came, the law stopped. Because it's by the Spirit. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is not carnal ordinance stuff. The Bible says if you are a child of God and you are led by the Spirit, you are no more under the law. You are no more under the law. Zero. You are not. Let's go back to Romans 10. For, for Christ is the end of the law. Period. And because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe. Moses wrote long ago about this, about the need to obey every part of the law in order to de be declared right with God. That's Old Testament. The one who obeys these things must always live by them, all of them. Nobody did, for all have sinned. Now, Hebrews 10, 20. 
by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. You see, by his death, God says, by his death, by his blood, he secured peace between us and God. And that's what Hebrew is saying. By his death, Jesus opened a new, which means this way was not there before. His death was not there before. His blood was not shed there before. Opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. What's the curtain? Through his death, his body that was torn, his blood that was shed into the most holy place. So this way he opened is the sacrifice he did. Understand it. If you neglect it, you can't come into the presence of God because you are creating another way. The next verse. The next verse. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. We sincere had fully trusted our high priest for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. That's why you go. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we are found, for God can be trusted to keep his, his, his uh, promise. In John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one commented the Father but by me. Don't create another way. Go the way the Bible recommends. Go with complete faith in Christ. You've been sprinkled with the blood. He is ministering before God on your behalf with his blood, speaking forgiveness and mercy. It is the blood that has, has mediated peace between you and God. You are no more an enemy. You should go believing the truth of the gospel, coming in his name. Don't go in his name for religious talk. When you mention his name, mention it with confidence and say, yes, this name stands as my great high priest who is ministering on my behalf with his blood. The blood is speaking for me. He has opened the way for me to go by faith in him. That's what brings you into the presence of God. This new and living way. If you create any other way, you won't go. If we depend on our own righteousness, we cannot assess the blessing of God or God himself. Nobody is worthy to approach God in this life. Nobody. None. Only through faith in the blood that mediated peace between you and God can you come. Apart from that new and living way, there is no other way. It's that way that Christ has provided you and I, that gives you confidence when you come to God and say in Jesus' name, you understand what you are saying. And you can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain grace and find mercy. Or obtain mercy and find grace. You come boldly. It's called throne of grace, throne of mercy. The blood is on the mercy seat, talking, pleading, interceding for us. Don't look down on the blood of Jesus. Don't. In Romans 10, 20, for by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. Did you see that? 
For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. But now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures, scriptures prophesied will come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now, all who believe in him receive that gift, for there is really no difference between us. Anybody that believes in him is counted righteous before God, to come before God because of Christ, because of Christ, because of Christ alone. Because of Jesus alone. Galatians 3.10. But those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God are under his cause. Did you see that? For the scripture said, cause is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. You see anybody who observed all of them? 11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by keeping the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This word of faith is different from the word of the law. We are under the New Testament. We are not under the old. It is, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Some people still believe that it is that they are obeying the law, their performance that brings them the favors of God. And they will fail. That thing will never build faith. It will create fear. You believe in fear because fear brings torment. You didn't do everything right. You never have confidence to be there. You will not. And the devils will, will eat you like lunch because they have all manner of accusations against you. Fear will grip you. You know how boldness. So do not share your faith between God and Jesus. I mean, between you, yourself, and Jesus. Don't, don't put your faith in Jesus and part in yourself, part in Jesus, part in what you did, and part in this. It won't work. First Corinthians 2 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, who is Christ. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Since we have been made right in God's sight, in God's sight, not by other people who don't understand. What matters is God, God's sight, God's sight, God's sight. Others might be telling you whatever they think. Since we've been made right in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That's why you have peace. That's why you come. Because of what Jesus has done. Because of our faith, not because of anything else, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved, that's why it's called grace, undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Amen. Can pray with confidence. Can pray with boldness. You don't have to go to somebody. You have access to God. What makes you think somebody should pray for you is because you have no confidence in the sacrifice of Calvary. You didn't know it is for you. You don't believe it's for you. You think you have to get, you know, these are people who are holier than you. It's not true. It's not true. Now let's go to the thing we're talking about. Different types of prayers and the laws that guide them. 
So last week, we ended with prayer of agreement. I'm not going there now. So we'll talk today about united prayer or congregational prayer. United prayer is a prayer that congregation prays. The law that guides it is there needs to be agreement. People need to agree on that prayer topic and see the need to pray for it. It's important. Therefore, when you want to present a prayer topic to a congregation, make the prayer point as clear as possible, but not to start preaching to them. It's not a preaching time. Just make the prayer topic as clear as possible so that everybody will see the need to pray for it. And now, it is best when people have common interest so that they can have their common interest to pray and common united faith to pray for it. You know, and then when they start, when you give them that prayer topic and they start praying, do not preach. It ruins that prayer. Because now, would they be listening to you or, or focusing on their prayer? I also preach during that time, but that's wrong. I do that. But do not preach. You're giving the prayer topic, it is time for prayer. God is orderly. There's time for everything. It's time to pray. Then do not preach. Do not try to ginger anybody up. It's not your work. It's the work of the Spirit of God. Let him do his job. Get out of the way. That trying to ginger people up quenches the Spirit right away. It quenches the people right away. You know, I had a story about one man. He went to kill Billy Graham during a, a, a administration in, 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 in Australia. And he was a leader of a gang, and they had really planned to kill him. Because he said he lost his father, lost his mother, so he thought God took them. So he has been angry at God for years. So now he became a leader of a very big, dangerous gang, and they organized to kill Billy Graham. And they planned it that when altar call is made, that they will come and come very close. So, and none of them had gone, that they all shoot him. I want to show us that it's not what men do. He said, while they were sitting there, God spoke to him and said, what are you doing here? He said he was shocked. So he said he was looking around. He said, who spoke to me? And God said again, what are you doing here? He said, all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he started to cry. I said, God, you know, you took my father, you took my mom. And the Lord said, I didn't take your father, I didn't take your mom. I didn't do that. He said his heart so melted that while all these things were going on, that Billy Graham was preaching. Listen to this story, that he didn't hear anything Billy Graham preached. It's the work of the Spirit of God. He didn't hear nothing. He was in this mindset. So he's never had this kind of, and remember there were other nine of them with God. And he said, well, that all he had was um, just as I am. He said, even the song they were singing, that he didn't hear it. He never heard it before. He said, all of a sudden, he was singing in his heart. Just as I am, without plea, he knew. He said, when they made attack, I just ran there. And he said, surprisingly, the other eight people followed me, and we all had guns. And he said, what happened to them, I can't explain. Nobody shot. Nobody did anything. He said, that song I had, just as I am. He said, I came. I said, I came to Jesus. I said, I come. He said, it's not Billy Graham's preaching. I didn't hear anything. 
And he said the song, I didn't hear the song, but he said somehow that song was singing inside of me. The Spirit of God does his work, not us. Oh, people, God is not served by the arm of men. It is by his Spirit. None unto God are all his works. Give the prayer topic and stop. Let them pray. So in Acts 4.23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported, see, they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them, 24. And when they had that, they lifted up them. You see, they have told them everything that happened and why they needed to pray. They have been, they have been threatened. Now 24. And when they had that, they lifted up their voice to God in one accord. That's what is important. Everybody was convinced about this prayer. They were all in one accord. They saw the need. Let me tell you something about your private prayer. If you really want people to pray for you, the, the fewer the number, the better. Because the fear you can get to accord. It's not by giving prayer topics, prayer requests all over the place. You stop all of that kind of thing. The fewer, the better. So you can achieve one accord. One accord is important. Very important. So that's, that's congregational prayer. Now let's get into the praying in the spirit. This one will take me a little time. Because we need to explain some things. Praying in the spirit. What is praying in the spirit? Your spirit is praying in a language you never learned or understand. It is unknown to you. And because of that, it has to be supernatural. If it's natural, you speak in the language you know naturally. But you're speaking in the, you're praying in the language. You never learned it. You don't understand it. It's unknown to you. But you're speaking it. Which means it's supernatural. And if it's supernatural, it's of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, if I pray in an unknown tongue, which means I'm praying in a language I don't know, I never learned, don't even understand, it's unknown to me. My spirit prayed. So you see, it's my spirit that is praying, not the Holy Spirit. It's my spirit prayed. My spirit. This is a major proof to you that the born again spirit you are is real because it prays. Anytime you are praying in song, it says it's your spirit praying using your vocal cord. But my understanding is unfruitful. So praying the spirit is your spirit praying in a language you don't know. That is praying in the spirit. But first, the, the Amplified explains it even better. He says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays now because it's supernatural. It is of God. So the Holy Spirit is the one that gives this ability to speak. But your spirit is the one praying. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives this utterance, the ability to speak. So when people say, oh, the Holy Spirit is praying to me, they are not totally wrong. Because it's the Holy Spirit that is inspiring it. But it is your spirit that is really praying what word the Holy Spirit is inspiring it to pray. So he says, he says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. But my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. Now, let's do some explaining here again 
the whole concept of speaking in tongues needs to be explained so that we can understand this praying in tongues much, much better. In Acts 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there, there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of, as of fire. And they sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit. The Spirit gave them the utterance. You see, he gave the ability, he gave the word, but it's their spirit that was speaking. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only, not only everybody there. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for disciples only. It didn't come to everybody there. So please note that. Number two. So one of the consequences of that was the ability to speak in this language they never learned, which means it is really supernatural phenomenon. It is not a natural phenomenon. So you can't come and teach somebody how to speak in tongues. So let me teach you. I say after me. It's not, it's not Bible. It's the Holy Spirit that gave them. None of them were teaching the other how to speak. He, he gave them that ability, each one of them, to speak. So if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, he will impart the same ability into your spirit. And you begin to speak what he inspires, not what men teach you. Not what men teach you. You know, so, so he says the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance, the ability to speak this language. But it was their spirit that spoke it. It was not their intellect or they will understand or know what they were speaking. So it was not their intellect. Or they will understand and know what they're speaking. It was their born again spirit in whom the Holy Spirit lives that spoke, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was not the Holy Spirit speaking directly. It was the disciple spirit speaking the words that the Holy Spirit gave them. This is one sure proof that the born again spirit is real. That spirit that speaks when you leave this earth is the one going to Jesus. It's real. He prays. It sinks. It's real. The new life is real. That's what matters most. We're giving this new life to live it. Now, we thought some time ago that the ability to speak in tongues has two main uses. Number one is to give message to the church or to people in tongues. It's called the gift of diverse tongues. You will soon see why it's diverse. The gift of is a is the gift uh, is a ministry gift because it ministers to people. That's why it's called ministry gifts. All the nine gifts of the spirit are ministry gifts for ministering to people. Now, this obviously needs interpretation because now you are speaking language that people don't you don't understand. So it obviously needs interpretation. But why does the spirit call it diverse tongues? Because you could speak this language in different languages unknown to you. You may speak or give message in Germany, you never learned it, or French, you never learned it, on, or in, um, in um, Arabic, you never learned it. So different, you can speak French, you can speak Arabic, you can diverse tongues, diverse, diverse. And you can speak in none of those ones, and now you speak in language that nobody understands except him. So it's diverse. In this ministering to people, diverse, diverse. Diverse tongues. 
Now, let's see an example of that verse. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we everyone in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Persians, so some people were speaking Persian language, maids, Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Christ, Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues. Different, diverse tongues. Arabians, these people, even immigrants, everybody had their local tongue, diverse tongues. Diverse. What were they saying? It, said, it says, our tongues, the wonderful words of God. And they were all amazed. Why? Because this ministry gift is given as a sign to the unbelievers. So they were amazed. They said, this is unbelievable. These people, not, can you imagine if you are from uh, somewhere and somebody who has never learned your language is, is talking to you and is talking to you about God in that language. That's, that's a sign to you that God is real. So look at 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. To who? Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Tongues, so they, they had this, they were amazed. They were amazed. It's a sign to them that God is speaking all languages. He knows everything. He's almighty God. He knows everything. It's a sign to them. But what sign, it, they were talking to them about the wonderful things of God. Trying to show them that God is real. So that is one use of tongues in the ministry gift. So again, this is, you saw them talking to unbelievers as saints. They can see also that you can give message in tongues to the church. To the church. To the church. It's not a sign to them. Because we already know Christ. We are born again. We know that God is. It's not a sign to them. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Wherefore, tongues, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If any man speak in a known tongue, let it be by two or at most by three. That by cause, and let one interpret. You see, he said, when you are not ministering to the church in tongues, just two or three, and then somebody should interpret it. Why? This is not speaking Arabic or speaking French. This is speaking in a non language, both to you and to them. So now the gift of interpretation shows up in the church now, to interpret it to them, to interpret that message you are giving to them. And I want you to notice something. It says, when you want to minister these gifts, you can't spend all day giving prophecy to one another. He said two or three. Because there are other things you would do. And then look at, look, let me read the next verse. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silence in church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak also two or three. Let one judge. That's it. You can't come and say, well, everybody's prophesying. From morning to evening, I say, we came for intercessory prayer. You didn't say nothing. Don't know what I'm talking about. A false prophecy all over the place. And all they see is witches. I don't know how this happens, and people still believe that junk. They see only demons. Talk about demons. They're not talking. And people believe, adults, people who went to school, believe the junk. Your mother is a witch. Your brother is a witch. The person causing your trouble is your neighbor. Negative stuff from, this, from the pit of hell. They say the, um, the signing of spirit, no. The signing of spirit means you see all range of spirits. You see angels. It's not only demons. You see all range of spirits. 
all range of spirit. Not one. Not one time. So you see what the Holy Spirit says. He says, when you gather and people want to give message in tongues, two or three. It's enough. Prophecy, two or three. So you can have time to preach the word, have time to do other things, worship. Two or three and pray. Now, for private use, that brings us to the topic we are dealing with, which is praying in the spirit. Speaking in tongues is also for private use, which is for personal use. And that is primarily for prayer, devotional use. In which case, you don't need interpretation because you are not giving message to anybody. This one is not ministry gift. So every Christian should pray in the spirit. The ministry gift of diverse tongues, every Christian doesn't have it. But the ability to pray in tongues, every Christian has it. Because you are not ministering to people. It's just like saying you don't have the ability to pray. No, you have the ability to pray. But you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be able to speak in tongues. So look at, look at the use of tongues privately. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For he that speaketh in an own tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in, in the Spirit he speaketh mystery. It's a powerful way to pray. Speak it mystery. Now, we have done all this explanation so that we can understand what praying the Spirit really means so that we can engage in it. It is the most effective way to pray because the Holy Spirit is the one giving the utterance in accordance with the perfect will of God. Number two, it circumvents all human limitations that you and I usually have. We don't understand everything about the things we are even praying about. The Bible says we have infirmities. We are limited in knowledge. But the Holy Spirit is not. So when the Holy Spirit is praying, giving this utterance, he goes to the heart of the matter. He knows things we don't know. He knows what to pray about concerning, especially when you want to pray for people. Always pray in the Spirit, people. Look at Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. See, the infirmities are our limitations. For we know not what we could pray for as we ought to. Not that we don't know how to pray, but we don't know how to pray as we ought to. Because we are limited. You might think my problem is if I pray this. That may not be the cause of the issue. But the Holy Spirit knows where it's coming from. You might know you have bitterness in your heart. But you won't, you won't believe it. You won't accept it. But he knows that's what is killing you. So he knows. So he prays better than each one of us. He gives this this or trans to your spirit to pray the perfect will of God on our behalf, you know. So it says, um, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmity, for we know not how we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit is a make it intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This idea of groaning, I've never experienced it. I don't know whether I think I have or once or twice, but you know, there's this groaning that grips you. People do experience it. And it's really when you are praying for the heathens, it happens to a lot concerning the heathens. You take, you, man, you are lost. You feel a sense that you yourself, you are lost. You pray with deep sorrow. I'm not kidding. You pray, pray with deep sorrow. It's usually mostly praying for people who are lost. This groaning in the spirit. You take their place. That's what intercession is. Again, like I said, I think I've had this experience only once or so. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly. But 
So, 27. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. You see? Because he maketh intercession for saints according to the will of God. You see, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Jesus makes intercession for us. That's God. That's God interceding for his children. He, he's the one who can intercede for us. Because he's holy and righteous. He's the holy one and righteous one. But me can't intercede for you. But because you and I depend on the same grace. And number two, we are all children of God. But we can intercede for the heathens. It's just a matter of terminology. We can intercede for the heathens. Why? Because we are priests of God. The priest stands between God and the people. We are priests of God here on earth. We are divine intercessors for the world. If my people which are called by my name, if they humble themselves, I pray, God shall hear and hear the land. First of all, we should make intercession. We shall pray for, for kings and those. We should pray for them so that people are saved. That's our job as priests of God. To pray for the nations. And we should pray in the spirit always. In Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit. That is the same text we read, Ephesians 6.18, now amplified. It says, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit. With all manner of prayer and entreaty. So we pray with all manner of prayer, but he's saying, Pray in the Spirit every time. Give the Holy Spirit opportunity. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding on behalf of the saints. Which one? You see what I told you people, these interpreters, they use the word interceding because they do not really understand. They, they think this grammatical something. But again, they could be right here because, you know, the Spirit of God is one now doing this prayer, so he could, he could go for it, because he's the one interceding for all saints too. He could go. So Jude, the book of Jude gives the same line of teaching. Jude one twenty, But you, my, my dutifully loved friends, constantly, constantly, and progressively build yourself up on the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the spirit. This is something a Christian must take advantage of. Pray every moment in the spirit. I don't know, I said, you know, some, something about a, a, a Muslim was, Jesus spoke to him, God converted, and the same thing to one church. He said, he said, what are they saying there? He said, this language is not Hebrew, it's not outside. He said, God, Jesus said, no, they're speaking real language. He said, the problem with them is that they don't even believe in what they're doing. He said, some of them think, are we doing the right? He said, because of that unbelief. They don't get a lot from me. See, but that thing they are saying is real language. It's real language. I don't know how many of us have confidence in our praying in the spirit that we are praying mysteries to God. We are praying mysteries and you pray with confidence. And the devil is saying, what are you supposed to, what, do you know what I say? No, I don't know. I'm not supposed to. It's not your business. I'm talking to God. Mysteries and you won't understand the devil either. So get up. Pray with confidence in these things now. Because the scripture says we, should, we ought to. All the time. Now, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, listen to this. The Holy Spirit has been given. All you do is to receive him. He has come. On the day of Pentecost, he came. He didn't live again. He's there until Christ comes. So all you do is receive him by faith. I did in my bedroom. I said, who waits for a gift? It's a gift now. I said, Holy Spirit, you are here already. You have come. I said, I receive you by faith. 
right now for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the, is the right for every believer. I receive you now to baptize me in the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And I expect to speak in tongues. All of a sudden, I started speaking in tongues. Right in my bedroom, nobody lay hands on me. Not I just read the Bible. I acted on the scripture work for me. You can do the same. Again, people, you can see laying of our hands. People can lay hands on you. You receive the Holy Spirit. Don't pray for him to come. He's already here. Look at Acts 10, 44. While Peter yet spake this words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them which had the word. He was just preaching. The thing fell on them. And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. For they heard them speak with tongues. They started to speak in tongues. That's how they knew that this thing has happened. Look at, look at the Peter. I'm sorry. Sorry, let's continue. Peter said, can anybody know? Let me leave that one. So if you go to Acts chapter 19, you will see where Paul made this bunch of Christians who, knew, who had not heard about the Holy Spirit. And he, they got baptized, and then he laid hands on them, and they started speaking in tongues right away. So you see, this speaking in tongues is for those who are Christians who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you can get baptized very easily. Now let's talk about the prayer of consecration and dedication. What does it mean? It is a prayer to consecrate yourself, dedicate yourself to the will of God. In my, the way I look at it, this is one of the most, one of the most important prayers that a Christian ought to be saying. And this prayer you say all the time. It's not something you say and stop. Prayer for spiritual resources. You keep praying them. Paul said, I cease not. Once you see this scripture that says, I cease not to pray for you on this matter, then to you it should be, I cease not also. So look at this prayer of consecrating one to God's will. The disciples have been threatened to stop preaching. And Paul said, consider you. Are we going to do the will of God or do your will? So they went to God to, to consecrate themselves to doing this will of God. It's called prayer of consecration, prayer of dedication. Acts 4.23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which had made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatening. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they will speak thy word. We will do your will, dedicating ourselves to this cause. It's part of the danger that is out there. It's part of the threatening, Lord. Grant us the boldness to do your will, dedicating ourselves to your will. We know they are threatening us, Lord, but we are dedicating. We are dedicating to do your will. It's called prayer of dedication, prayer of consecration. And now, Lord, behold, they are threatening and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the, whole, by the name of the of thy holy child Jesus, that one. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. See, God equipped them again because they dedicated themselves. They didn't say, oh, God, we're not doing a good, no. Don't want to die. I have family to raise. They say, we're going out there. It's your will. Peter said to them, Georgie, are we going to do your will or do the will of God? It's called prayer of dedication. But you can see here that we, we, the Bible says pray with all manner of prayers. So this prayer is congregational prayer. 
And also, it's the prayer of consecration. It's prayer of consecration. So you pray with all manner of prayers, all manner of combination of prayers. And then look at Epiphras in Colossians 4.12. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Consecrating them to the will of God. Consecrating them to the will of God. You find so many prayers in the Bible that consecrates you to the will of God, which we pray here every Sunday. The Lord told me, he said, pray it over these people every Sunday. He said, whether they understand it or not, just stand up and pray. Consecrate them to the will of God. Consecrate them to the power of God. Consecrate them to the strength of God. That God will strengthen them in the inner man. That God, consecrate them to it. Keep, just keep saying it. Keep praying it. Don't, worry, don't walk by sight. Just keep praying. Just keep praying it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 22, verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but thy be done. He consecrated himself to the will of God. And he said, if it be that way to change this thing, you can do it. But if you're not, and then people now take this, and every prayer they say, if it be that way. No, it's not like that. Because you knew, the Bible says we pray according to his will, and they hear at us. You should know the will. Did you ever see where the apostles were praying here? And say, Lord, if it be that way to save us. No, he said, we're going to preach. You grant that, that you're through the name of Jesus, that signs and wonders will be done. They didn't say, if it be thy will. No, because they told the people and said, check whether we do your will or do the will of God. He sent us to preach this thing. We, have, we can't but preach it. So you must know the will of God in Scripture now. But this is what Jesus is saying. If you want to change this program, Lord, if it's your will to change it, that's okay. But if you don't want to change it, I am committed to your will. So this, if it be that will, is not what you pray in every prayer like that. People have lifted it, and then they, they pray for someone and say, Lord, if, you are will, if it is your will to heal him. Really? Okay, if somebody comes to you to pray for him to be saved, will you say, Lord, if it's your will, save him? Will you do that? You won't do that, because it's the will of God to save everybody. So how can it not be the will of God to heal everybody? When Jesus bore our sicknesses and bore our sins, you can't put if you be that will, will in prayers that you pray. But here, Jesus used it because he said, if you want to change this program, if it's your will to change this program, he's not even asking for God to change it. He said, but if it's not your will, say, Lord, I'm committed to your will. That's prayer of committing yourself to the will of God and going forward with it. And the Bible said when he prayed, angels came to strengthen him. He was in agony that blood was coming from his pores. Agony, carrying the, sin, the weight of the sins of the whole world. This is a righteous, sinless son of God. God himself. God himself. In serious agony over mankind. That's why the Spirit of God groans when we're praying for the lost world. Pain for people that God created in his own image. It's like God, somebody gave you a very costly car, 
cost about $5 million. And you go and rake it. Drunk and you rake it and you don't even bother about it. People will say you have lost your mind. This is exactly what it is. This is not even a perfect example. But it gives us an idea. What we're talking about. Jesus was groaning in the spirit. He was man. So we can dedicate ourselves to the will of God from time to time. If you, if, you are, if you are serving God in any area, you should pray this prayer and go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've dedicated to serving you. Strengthen me to serve you with fervency. Strengthen me, Lord, to serve you in your wisdom. Don't, don't let me serve in my own wisdom, in my own understanding. I have committed myself, my life to you. You own me. I consecrate my, that's what we did on Sunday. We consecrated our life to him and say, you own us. You bought us with a price. We surrender our life to you. It's not surrender one portion, no. Surrender your whole life, you, everything you have, everything to him. He owns you. We came into this world with nothing. We live with nothing. So we own nothing. So we say, Lord, you own everything. You own everything. So we should be praying this prayer constantly. If you are a wife, a husband, the will of God for you is to be a wife or a husband. You should be praying for God to strengthen you in that role. You have committed yourself to do the will of God as a father, as a husband, as a wife. You should dedicate yourself and say, Lord, strengthen me to be the best wife there is, the best husband there is. So your will be done in this, my life, in this family. Prayer of dedication and consecration is very important for a Christian. And we don't have, because we don't pray in that direction. All we pray about is money, job, wife, fight the devil 24 hours. Fight him every day. The one we fought him, where did he go? The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for your work which is done by your spirit. Known unto you is the work of your hand. It's not by power, not by mind, it's not by our wisdom. It's only you that knows what you are doing. We thank you for it. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.